Welcome one and all to another round of the book reviews. Today I have for you the book Demian by Herman Hesse. This is a, another book I've written a little bit earlier than The Steppenwolf, which I published just the other day. And this book is written in 1919, I believe. And it's a relatively short book. It's only 135 pages. And it goes through the story that follows the path of a young boy called Emile Sinclair, who goes from being, you know, probably around the age of eight or nine, maybe a little bit older, through to a late teenaging, maybe even early 20s. And sort of follows him through his path through to manhood, as well as his mental growth. Uh, he does this through the help of his friend, Max Demian, which is why the name is Demian. I'm not sure if it's Demian or Demian or what, how it's actually pronounced. But the, the book centers a, a lot of it, uh, well, obviously on Emile Sinclair, but with the help and the guidance of this enigmatic, this uh, interesting, mysterious fellow that he has as a friend. Uh, so it goes, yeah, basically from him as a child in his house, parts of it being in the school that he goes to where he meets uh, Max Demian, then through the university where he's sort of on his own and has another chance encounter with, with Max Demian. He also meets like another mentor um, through this period and has a couple of different select mentors, but it always sort of comes back to, to Max. And then finally ends up with him after the university going to the Second World War, which is sort of like the end of the book. The, the themes of the book is one of them is security. So I guess the security of not only your, your home and your house as a child and growing out of that, but also the security of your, your inner mental world. And I think learning that your mind can change as well. So Emile Sinclair goes through these very different growth periods where he starts to learn like, oh, everything isn't safe in the world. Uh, for instance, this happens when he starts getting bullied by a, um, another classmate called Franz Coma, where he sort of puts himself into this situation, but that, then Franz Coma takes advantage of it. There's other parts of the book where he is coming to realizations like he's not happy, he's depressed. And he's realizing like there's no security in the world in, in the sense that you have to make your own changes and nothing is steady and steadfast. Everything always sort of changes and flows. So that's one of the, the major themes of the book. Another one is plurality. So there's, you see this a lot where it, the differences between him, uh, hedonism and transcendental. So he goes through periods where he's sort of an alcoholic and he's living in the world of pleasures and whatnot, and then has like is depressed in that, and then goes through a period of almost uh, austerity and um, becomes a, a lot more transcendental in, in the way he acts and thinks and perceives things. Uh, some of the other ones are like pristine nature and, and commune. So right before the, the Second World War where he enters it, which is really only a footnote in the book, it's a very small part, but... He, he encounters this, this house, this world of Max Demian and his mother where everything is bliss and pure and he's meeting all these interesting people who connect and there's, I guess, like a, a major friendship being going on. And then there's the other side where the world starts to turn into a darker place. The worst parts of mankind come out, the brutality, the destruction, the angry nature that we all have in, inside of ourselves. 
Another one is the platonic exalting love that he develops for Beatrice. And this is, I guess, where I was talking about the hedonism as well. It ties into that where he has this, this platonic love that he encounters for her right before or after he also has these depressive bouts full of lust as well. So there's a lot of points in this book where it's, it's just pointing out, I guess, the, yeah, how, how things can be different and change through time. And you're not necessarily one thing all the time, but you can be vacillating between different areas. The power and weakness of the interior voice is another of the themes that I, I really got from the book, especially was its capacity to help and hinder you as a person. So I think we've all had this experience of, of doing something and then realizing like there's something inside of our head that either told us not to do it or told us to do it. And it's almost like we're two separate people. There's, there's a person who acts and lives in the world, but there's also, it's almost like that you have different person, uh, personalities inside of you. And I'm not talking about, you know, a, a bipolar disease or, or, or whatnot, or a disorder where it's, you're very obviously in one state of mind, then you can't change and then you're rapidly going to and from things. It's more the sense that you, you look at your own actions and the way things you're doing things and how, what is driving you to do that, which is usually the, the inner voice, whether you're listening to it or not. And that can have a tremendous power, but it can also be a weakness as well in the sense that if you're listening to the, the darker parts of your mind, or versus the, the more noble and um, the brave, courageous parts, you, you're going to go through, down through different parts of life. I really, really enjoyed this book. And so instead of observations, I'm, I'm going to actually say some of what I believe are like the life lessons or wisdom that is really contained within it. And for me, this is exemplifies why I do like to read fiction in some parts and why I think fiction can actually really um, almost like be more truthful than nonfiction in certain aspects because the, the power of a story can really bring things to light which otherwise might not be noticed in your day-to-day day, day -day life or whatever it is that, that you have. So some of the life lessons I got from this book. Conscious lying can create paths that lead to uh, the unknown or dangerous territory. Unrelent it's basically like an unrelenting force pushing you at your back, almost impossible to stop through sheer willpower alone. So this sort of will require a change of view, some sort of step or even foreign help to get you out of that path. And then you have to go through the whole process of uh, repentance and moving back, I guess, onto the proper path. So I guess all of this is metaphorical in the sense that the path is just the life that you're leading and where, where you're being directed to and your aim. And sometimes you can encounter things or through your actions or lack of actions where you're pushed down into like the shrubbery or the a side path, which leads, you know, instead of to the, the, um, the sunset on the top of the hill is leading down to like the, the dark, dangerous valley where there's monsters and whatnot. Sometimes you need to go through that valley, I suppose, to reach your, your end goal. But other times it's, it's a side tour, it's a detour, it's not taking you where you need to go and I think I've felt that in times of my life where I've I've had something I've wanted to do and then I've been distracted or or gone down a different area or a different route and and realized like no wait this isn't 
this isn't where I want to go or what I want to become. And, but, but getting off of that path or, or taking the action to, to regress back to where you should be and then keep going forward from there is very, very difficult. So I think that's just one thing you need to look out for in, in your own life and see like, okay, am I going down a weird or a place I don't want to go? And what are some potential actions or something I could do to jolt me out of where I am and, and get to me where, where I need to go? Depression can be caused due to, to self-knowledge or, or actions or lack of actions, like I just mentioned. And these require conscious confrontation, I believe, to, to be able to adequately address. So especially I'm talking about here the, the feelings of guilt and shame. If, if you have some sort of guilt or, or something, it's, it's not something that goes away just on its own with time. In fact, it seems to fester and, and get worse and worse. And so there's something about the conscious like confrontation or the conscious changing of something that that can get rid of depression in in this one sense so i'm talking the depression in the sense of i'm going to relate it back to my own experience where i was very awkward shy self-conscious and i knew i knew what i needed to do to to change which was to just put myself in those situations overcome this one one part of me that i was very uh, you know was nervous of going out and speaking to people because what if they thought of blah 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 and then I would just start to list off all of the things I, I hated about myself. I was very self-conscious of my body. I was very small and weak and thin. And, you know, I was losing my hair. I was whatever it was. And that whole thing got wrapped up in this sense of like, I can't, I can't change. I, you know, maybe I can just wait. And I did try and wait. I waited years and years before I finally took action where I was like, no, this is, I need to change. Like this is, this is unsustainable in the long term. So that was just a, an interesting note I also got from the book. Nothing in the world is more distasteful to a man than to follow the path that leads to himself. Change those words for woman if you so desire. Following what you believe is the correct thing to do is almost certainly the hardest. There are very, very few times in life where doing the right thing is the easy thing. So for me, that was taking those steps, which I'll relate to just back before. And all of these life lessons sort of jumbled together into, it really spoke to my experience reading this character much more so than I did reading the Steppenwolf, for example. And this is funny because they're two very similar books in a sense where it's the journey of a, a character who has, you know, some, uh, some problems and is trying to overcome them in some sense. But this character spoke a lot more to me than how, Harry Harler did in the Steppenwolf book. So yeah, there's, I, I would totally agree with that sentiment. The, the right thing to do or the right path that you take is distasteful. It is harder. And that's just something you have to suck up and do, I guess. Listen to the inner voice without moral judgments. The, to do this, you need to unlearn your preconceptions while entering the state. And it should be a state. I think it shouldn't be something you're in all the time but it should be something you should have the ability to access in moments of decision-making that is critical in your life, I suppose. So for me, this is tied to first principles thinking. I mentioned that I think in the Elon Musk book where one of the things that was really amazing about him is his ability to think, 
to keep asking why to get to the very bottom of something. So if someone says it's impossible, why is it impossible? And just keep going down those different levels. I think this is a similar sort of method where you listen to that inner voice and you try and get rid of the preconceptions. You try and get rid of, um, okay, why can't I do something strange in a supermarket or, or whatnot? So um, tying that is there is, if you're very socially awkward or have anxiety, one of the things you can do is a, an experimentation of sorts is to go to somewhere busy and just lie down on the floor flat for a minute. And people will like walk past you, think like, oh, what the hell is this guy doing? This is weird. But the fact of you doing it will show you you're not going to die from doing it. Very rarely anyone will say anything. Very rarely bad things will happen from that. Like almost to the extent of, you know, an asteroid is going to hit us. How much do you worry about that? None. So why should you be worrying about these other aspects of your life? So it's almost like pushing yourself to do more difficult things. So they, uh, that's, that's one interesting, I, I really think, and listening to the inner voice sounds, you know, a little bit crazy, but if you think about it, humans are all crazy anyway. Like the, the, the stuff that we do is, makes absolutely no sense a lot of the time. So is it any crazier to listen to your inner voice? I don't particularly think so. When we hate someone, we are hating something within ourselves. They are a proxy or representation. We're never stirred up by something that does not exist when the, within ourselves. So for me, I think that's, that rings true as well. And that sort of ties into why we're all hypocrites in some sense, why it's very easy for us to judge others, um, but not realize like when we're doing exactly the same thing or, or being, you know, we'd look at other people and say, oh, they're so selfish, they're so blah, 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 not realizing we're doing the same things to other people, but we just can't see it ourselves. And so for me, that... That rings true in the sense that the, the things I dislike the most, I think are things that exist within me and could pop up at any time if I'm not careful and they do pop up, I know for sure. I know there's times I uh, you know, would, would judge someone for, for something that's happened like being sloppy or careless or whatnot. And then I'd do the exact same thing and have done the exact same thing. So you know, these aren't <laughs> things that are, you know, I'm not, I'm not coming up with super wisdom here saying I'm, I know the, the correct path, how to do things, blah, blah, blah. No, it's, it's a realization that the things I find distasteful are in others are, are probably things that are in, within me. And unless I really take a check on them and, and I suppose consciously ask, like, are you doing these same things? Because if you're not, you're, you're probably doing them, but you're not realizing it. So... Those were a couple of the life lessons I really got from this book. I, I found this book absolutely amazing. I thought it was a, a really great read. Very short, very perceptive, and it really spoke to me, the character. I could see a lot of myself in that character, which is really aids in, in helping understand a book. Uh, and for me, this is this is the role of fiction in my life. It It is able to show me a person or a character or, or put me in a position that is imagined, but that would expose parts of myself. And then I can look at those parts of myself and see like, oh, you're right. You know, I think I would do something similar and then see how that ends up for the character and be like, oh God, if I did something similar to, to what he did, I'd, I'll end up, you know, going down a very deep path or, or where I don't want to go. So that was my impressions of Herman Hesse's Demian. A really good book. I'm going to give it a seven and a half out of 10, which might be one of the best ones I've, I've rated on here so far. Something pragmatic from this. I want to 
think more about first principles thinking, listen to my inner voice a bit more and, and realize or try and realize times in my life when I'm doing something stupid, when I'm not. And yeah, I just dig a little bit more deeper beneath the surface, especially of my own emotions and mental states and see, try and figure out like what the hell is going on in my brain. Cause sometimes I have absolutely no idea. And then sometimes everything seems clear and purposeful. So uh, it would be great to have more of an ability to, to switch that on when necessary. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed. Leave any comments or whatnot on the channel on if you're listening to this just via audio. Um, yeah, please leave a comment. If there's any books you'd like to be reviewed, I will probably read them because I uh, have a pretty voracious appetite for that sort of stuff. And that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed. Karen out.